which is part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Today's teaching is by Pastor Daryl Ruin. 1 John chapter 2, verse 12. John says this as we continue our series in 1 John. I'm writing to you, little children. Because your sins have been forgiven you for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who's been from the beginning. And I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I have written to you, children, because you know the father. I have written to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. And I have written to you, young men, because you are strong. And the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Pray with me. Dear Father, I thank you that your word is is alive. I thank you that it's not an idle word, meaning that it's not um, it's not useless. It, it's a working word, and it it needs to work in our hearts this morning. So my prayer, Father, is that as we look into your word, you would be honored by even the mere reading of it, but by the closer examination as well. Jesus, I pray that your righteousness would become today in a more real way our righteousness. That your righteousness would become ours not just in uh, theory, but but in the practice of our very hearts. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would, that you would do the preaching in this place. Preach into the dark spots, to the recesses of our hearts where no man can speak to. Do do the magic work in our soul. We pray for your glory and sake. Amen. What is this passage about? We are continuing here now our series. We've been off of 1 John for a couple weeks, but we're going to track on here. 12 through 14, what is this passage about? Since you're currently... Uh, in the state of football mind, right? Many of you watched too many games yesterday, stayed up too late like Grady and I did watching football. You've got it on the brain, so let me explain this passage to you in football terms since that's where your head is. This passage in the heart and mind of the Apostle John, I think, is essentially a halftime coach's pep talk. Yeah? It's, it's in the midst of the big game, in the midst of the big fight, and it's a rough one. It's, it's, like, it's what we like to call a dog fight out there. And John, John's got to say something. And in the midst of some preaching and teaching, it's as if John gets up on the stool and, and is going to deliver the halftime pep talk coaches speech. Maybe some of you watched the Georgia-South Carolina game. My condolences to you, uh, George. I'm just saying. Um, maybe some of you stayed up like I did too late and watched the Florida-Kentucky game. At the end of the Florida game, Florida went into triple overtime and, and barely squeaked out against Kentucky, which is a, a better Kentucky team than I've ever seen. 
But Florida wins uh, in triple overtime, just barely. And at the end of the game, sideline reporter grabs a couple of our, our star players. I'm a Florida fan, by the way. If you haven't got that already. Um, and she grabs one of our star players. He had probably the best game of his career thus far. And she asks him the question, what got you guys through? How did, how did you make it through triple overtime with this very improved Kentucky team and, 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 and come out with a win? And very quickly, his answer was that uh, coach gave us a really, very good pep talk at halftime. And the lady tried to ask about the pep talk, and he says it's top secret. We can't tell you about anything the coach said, probably because knowing the coach, uh, he couldn't repeat on national television what the coach had said. So let me be clear, even as a Gator fan, in no way am I, am I inferring by this illustration that Will Muschamp is anything like John or Jesus or anything spiritual. If, uh, if you can read lips and you see when the camera catches uh, Coach Muschamp on the sideline, um, then it's, it's, not, it's not a good thing. It probably, probably would make you infer that uh, he is far from, far from anything spiritual. Nonetheless, you get my point, I think. There are moments in, in the fight when you're tired, when you're thirsty, you're banged up, you're broken, you're bleeding. Um, things have gotten ugly, and sometimes, as happens in war, uh, the troops are losing their heads. The fog of war, as maybe you've heard it, is thick in the hearts of John's readers. And maybe for, maybe for you today. Maybe for me. It's at this point that the general... The Apostle John steps in and brings some calm to the storm and uh, some encouragement to the hearts of his hearers. John is almost 100, you will remember. He's getting old. He's the last remaining apostle when he writes this. And when he speaks, the congregation listens. He's that kind of guy. I think it's because he's earned the right, not just in his age, but in his faithfulness. His words, as we've read them, it's a break in the passage, but they're not quite poetry. But at the same time, they, they have a ring to them that, that captures not just, not just the minds of his hearers, but their very hearts. Like any good pep talk would. Like any good coach's speech would. He's going to mention here three groups, and each of them are addressed twice. All right? If you, if you try and analyze this passage too closely, try and make it fit in a nice little neat package, uh, you're going to lose, I think, the intent of the Apostle John's words. So we're, we're not going to really try and do that. Because what is said from the heart to the heart sometimes supersedes perfect analogies. Right? In other words, neither, neither poetry nor, nor pep talks be put in a box. So here's what we get. We get little children addressed. We get fathers. These are the old guys. And we get the young guys, the young men addressed. Little children, fathers, and young men. Now let me say a few things. Let me answer a few questions because at this point, as you're reading this passage, 
you're starting to see that it's a little bit of a break in the conversation for John. It seems a little bit poetic. You're not really sure why he's going into these things. But, but he addresses three different people two different times, and he's going he's gonna to say some things to them individually. And so you should have some questions in your mind as you're reading through this. Let me answer just a couple of them. Number, number one, it would make sense, I think the best sense, to view these three groups not as age groups but as maturity groups. Okay? So John really has no interest in talking to the kids, the young men, and the old men. That, that's not really his point. I think it would, be, it would be better understood to understand the little children as maybe new Christians, the, the fathers as the mature Christians, and the young men as those guys in between. All right? So that's, that's part of what you need to understand. It would also be fair to see this not as maybe three groups, but really only two different groups. Because John, throughout the letter, is going to refer to all of us as little children. That's just his affectionate, grandfatherly way of talking to us. We're all the little children. And so young and old, whether you're talking age or maturity, I think, I think it'd be fair to look at this passage and say, okay, we're all little children. And then he breaks the little children into, into two different groups. Okay, so maybe you can get a handle on this passage that way. So we're all little children, and then he's going to talk to those of you who are more mature in faith, whether of age or not, and those who are, who are still younger in the faith. Okay, so maybe that helps. Whatever the case, um, don't, don't stress out too much about how many groups there are, how many different individuals there are. Remember, poetry and pep talks can't always be perfectly outlined. All right. Number two, um, you don't have to eliminate women from this dialogue. Let's just say that up front. Although he says little children, and then if you even break it up into two groups, older men, fathers, and young men, I don't think he's simply addressing the men in the church. Because all these things that he's going to say would be true across the board. All the encouragement applies to men as well as women. All the encouragement, the things he's going to say to the fathers also applies to the young men if you want to be if you want to be picky about it and all the things he's going to say to the young men also apply to the to the fathers and so so don't don't get too caught up in those details either number 3 you don't have to limit the individual encouragement to the group to which it is attached and that's what i just referred to all the promises are for young and old instead you might appreciate might just appreciate what he does say specifically to fathers and what he does say specifically to the young men and even what he does say to the young children, even if you keep them in three separate categories. I think, I think he, he chooses his words carefully and certainly the Holy Spirit chooses his words carefully. And so little children, what does he say? Each, each group gets, gets two words, right? He goes through it once and then he comes back and he says something to them a second time. So little children, he says the first time, your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. And then the second time he comes back and says, you know the father. To the fathers, he says, you know him who is from the beginning. And then he repeats the exact same thing. No variance. Twice to the fathers, you know him who is from the beginning. And then to the young men, you have overcome the evil one the first time. And then the second time is essentially the same, but he adds a little bit to it. You are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. And so he, he adds a little bit to it the second time. And so those are the groups. That's what he has to say. Maybe you understand a little bit better about how this poetic, how this coach's speech is formed. So let's take a look at these. First, to the little children. To the little children, he, 
essentially reminds them of just a couple foundational truths. Notice what he says. In the first address to them, he says very simply, you are forgiven. You are forgiven. Now connected to those who would be the children in, in the analogy here, uh, that's, a, that's a big word. I don't know about you, but every now and then, I need a reminder of just the foundational truths of, of about my relationship to God in the kingdom. And, and truth number one that John decides to share here as he's standing on the stool addressing the team, addressing the troops is, listen, don't forget, you are forgiven. I mean, maybe what John would like to communicate, I think, is something to the effect of, listen, it's okay. This thing between you and God, it's taken care of. You are forgiven. Remember, the entire letter, John is trying to give those who need encouragement, encouragement, and those who need need encouragement taken away, he's trying to take it away. Those who might think they have some assurance in the kingdom, but really don't need to have assurance in the kingdom, he's trying to pull that away from them. And for those who, who need assurance in the kingdom, he's trying, to, he's trying to serve it up on a platter for them. And so it's as if in this break, he stands up on the stool at halftime in the midst of this fierce battle, and he says, listen, kids, listen, church, those of you who are, who are caught up in the mix, those of you who are trying to figure out who's who here, those of you who are in the, in the, in the foxhole of this battle that's going on, remember, you are forgiven. It's a simple truth, but, but I think an important one. It's one that bears repeating, and John doesn't, doesn't mind repeating it. The second thing he says to the little children, do you notice it? Not only are you forgiven, but very simply and very to the point, you know him. One of the things that John will do to help pull assurance out from under those who have false assurance is to question, do you know, do you even know, do you even know him? Because if you knew him, then you, you probably wouldn't look like this. And if you knew your father, then you would probably look more like this. And so to the church, as he stands up to address them, as he stands up to champion the cause, as he stands up to give them that, that speech that's going to get them through the second half, one of the things he, he says is, is just critical for them to know is not only that you're forgiven, but listen, you know him. You know him. Uh, maybe there's been a time in your heart, in your mind, in your life, Christians, little, little children of God, that you've, you've had nothing else to hold on to, but I'm forgiven, and I know that I know Him. If I don't know anything else, I know that I know Him. And I don't have any answers, or I, don't, I, I don't even know all the questions, but I know I know Him. And I know He's forgiven me by the blood of His Son. So here's the point. I think that He would make in this first address... Good coaches and good generals always take you back to the basics, don't they? They always find a way to remind us, even in the most difficult of moments, of the, of the essentials. I think that's important in our Christianity. What about the second group, fathers? The fathers, it's interesting. They get the same word twice. He doesn't just say to them, you know him, like he does to the little children. He says, you know him who is from the, what does it say? beginning. It's interesting, isn't it? I think that in his old age, John has found that um, 
Life gives you very little to hold on to. Doesn't it? Life gives you very little that you can really hold on to. All of his original partners in ministry are gone. John has seen some horrible things in his work for the kingdom. As hard as he may have tried, there's very little that he's been able to hold on to. I think there's something about maturity. I think there's something about spiritual maturity and even maturity in age that brings just some simple perspective to the realities of life. Yet, John's anchor has held within the veil. Why is that? You've got to wonder, how is it that John has remained faithful to the very end? I think there comes a time in life that those who have been through a lot, when the only thing they have left is their faith in God, um, that they... They find that there's, there's simply there, there are no good answers. There's no good explanations. And even, I would dare say, the promises of God are, are not as uh, easy to hold on to as the simple fact that God, He is from the beginning. He's eternal. Why, why would John say this to these who are the mature ones? You not only know him, but you know him who has been from the beginning. What value do these who have this aged perspective, what value does that bring? Remember how God uh, finally answers Job's cries? He doesn't really answer him, does he? He doesn't give him answers um, except for with his own age. What do I mean by that? God essentially reminds Job that he is the one who has been from the beginning, doesn't he? He doesn't give Job answers to his immediate questions. He just tells Job who he is, how big he is, and how long he's been around. Job, I've been around a while. I'm the one who put all this together from the start. I'm the one who who controls the storehouses of rain and snow. Um, I'm the one who, who knows the very depths of the deepest of seas. I'm the one that, that carved the mountains. I'm the one that put the stars in the sky. I'm the one from the very beginning who's always been. Remember Job's response? He has none. He has none except to put his hand over his mouth and say, I've got nothing to say except I, I humbly repent of any questions I might have had for you. I think there's value that God places in His body, that God places in the church for, for the fathers, for those of maturity in Christ, that they bring perspective that sometimes in life, beyond explanation, beyond answers, beyond promises, sometimes in life, after everything else has been Taken, the only thing you have to hold on to is that he's the one that's from the beginning. And that doesn't answer any of my specific questions. It's not going to answer any of yours. 
but it holds our anchor. It holds our soul when everything else seems to be tearing at it. In the heat of the battle, John John steps up and he says, listen, just stop. Kids, you've been forgiven. You know him. You guys have been around a while. And you know, you know very uniquely, very specifically that, that, that he's been around a while. This creator God, he's not a rookie, is he? In fact, he's been here from eternity to eternity. There's something just about that simple truth that brings rest and confidence. How about to the young men? It's interesting here, if you see these as three different groups, which is fair to do, you see them as as new Christians, and then he addresses the older Christians, and then he's going to address those in between. That's, that's odd. Maybe you or I would have, would have started at the beginning or the end and, and gone a different way. But it's, but it's interesting here. For whatever it's worth, now he addresses those who are in between. They get the same thing twice, but in the second, in the second address, they get, a, they get a little addition. You remember what he says to them the first time? You have overcome the evil one. And then in the second address... Not only have you overcome the evil one, but if you back up from that, the way you overcome the evil one is because in you, abiding in you, you have the word of God, which, if you back up from there, has made you strong. What, is, what does this mean? I don't want to bore you with a Greek grammar, but I think it's worth doing here just a, a little bit. I think it's worth noting here, and this is why. In the first two instances, in the first two addresses to to the children and to the, the fathers, it seems, if you look at it, that, that John is putting the highlight on the work that God has done. You've been forgiven. By who? God has forgiven you. It's not something you gained. You know Him. The relationship is, is restored because of what He's done. You know the one who's been from the beginning. Older Christians, how is... How is that important? It's because he's faithful from the beginning. He can be trusted all the way back. There's no changing in him. That's what you've learned about God over all your years. That's what you know about him. And so it seems to be that in the first two addresses, he's pointing, he's pointing to God. In this one, it changes a little bit, doesn't it? I mean, if you just take it at face value, it looks like he's now pointing to them and he's saying, you have overcome the evil one. You have been strong. Um, that's where I think the grammar might help us a little bit. It would seem now that the focus has changed, but maybe it hasn't. There's more to see here. In each phrase, the verb, where maybe it's translated have, overcome, the verb or the action, the activity, it's in the Greek perfect tense. Now let me, let me tell you what that means. It simply means that the, the action is past tense. You have overcome, past tense. But it carries with it present implications. In other words, your strength in the present is based on something that has been accomplished already in the past. So you have overcome the evil one. That's true right here and right now for you. You've overcome But the reason it's true right here, right now, is because of what has taken place already in the past tense. The evil one has already been overcome. So you've got to ask yourself, who in the past tense 
has overcome already the evil one. Of course, Jesus is the only one who has already overcome the evil one. In Him, we are more than conquerors. Amen? Notice a couple more things here. Notice the addition to the second address. John says that they have overcome, but he also mentions the secret to their overcoming, doesn't he? How have they overcome? Very specifically, he says they've overcome because there is a word abiding. That word abide means to live. It means to take up residence. It means that it's alive within you. How have they overcome? Well, we've already seen that it's not just what they're doing right here and right now. It's based on something that's already happened on their behalf. Namely, that God through Jesus has overcome the evil one. And so they are conquerors, so to speak, not by their own doing. But I think it's fair that, that you know, John wants to encourage them. And so they're doing a good job. And so we can't just leave that out. But notice here that he, he gives a clue as to how they're overcoming. How are they overcoming? They're overcoming by the word of God, which abides in them. And if you back it up from there... That word which abides in them, that's helping them overcome, that's what brings them strength. How are they, how are they strong in John's words? By the word that abides in them. Notice also, finally, that the enemy is identified clearly. I think it's no mistake. The evil one, the curtain gets pulled back upon. We are reminded that he... Our adversary is behind the whole mess. He's behind their mess. And in this, in this break in the passage where John, where John steps up as the general to rally the troops, he's going to make sure that it's clear who's, who's the cause of all this. You have overcome, but you've not just overcome some, some non-entity out there. You've overcome the evil one because God has overcome the evil one. Now, Piper said it best, so let me read to you what he says. Satan works out all his schemes in two basic ways. All of his faith-destroying efforts can be summed up under these two activities. One is Satan's accusations. The other is Satan's temptations. He accuses and he tempts. He accuses us with the sin that we have already done. Amen? Does he do that? Anybody else but me? He accuses us with the sin that we have already done, and he tempts us to do the sin we have yet to do. What John teaches us is that the Word of God abiding in us is the way we conquer the evil one in both these activities. Some of you here today, in the midst of this battle, in the, in the halftime of your life, you need someone. You need someone to step up and give you a word. You need to be reminded that you are forgiven. You need to be reminded as the accuser comes and says, you don't know him. Yes, I know him. Not only do I know him in the here and now, I know the one who has been here forever. I know the one that's from eternity past to eternity future. He's been around from the beginning and before. Not only that, I, I'm a... I'm more than a conqueror. I've overcome. I can find strength. And how? Through truth. Through His Word. Through His Word. So why is this passage here? I think because maybe like you or me, even in the here and now, John's hearers, John's readers, this church that he writes to at the end of his life, 
Uh, they're in the thick of it. They're in the thick of it, and sometimes you just need calmer heads to prevail. Sometimes you, you need some spiritual gray-headed guy or ma'am to step up and grant some perspective, to stand up and, and bring some truth to the situation that just seems, that just seems way too foggy. Someone to gather the bruised and the battered, the discouraged and the dejected, the hurt and the hopeless, and, the, and to remind them of the basics. So that's the word that I, I give to you this morning. It's a simple word to all of us. We who are children of God, young and old. Lest the adversary would confuse you in the fog of war. Don't be confused. You who are in Christ, very simply, very clearly, and amazingly, you are forgiven. Now some of you are here sitting under a weight of condemnation because of your sin in the past or your sin that you fear is of tomorrow. And all you, all you sense is guilt and shame. You know that you are His, but you feel completely unworthy to be His. This morning I want to remind you, as John I think would remind you, that for you who are the children of God, You've been, you've been saved by grace through faith. And that grace and faith, not of yourselves, but it's the gift of God. Don't let the adversary steal it with his accusations. Don't let him steal it with his temptations. You are forgiven. And you know him. Jesus says, My sheep know me and they hear my voice. Sometimes you just got to get to that you got to get to that rock bottom place where, where all, you, all you can do is listen for the voice of the Savior. And all you can do is beg for the Holy Spirit to just say something, say anything. John would remind us, I would remind us, you know Him. You know Him. And if you've been around a while, not only do you know Him, but you know that He is He's faithful from the very beginning. He's the one that can be trusted from the very start. You've known Him who's from eternity to eternity and He does not change. He does not waver. There's nothing, there's nothing that can be called into question about His character and certainly not about His love. If He has forgiven you, He has forgiven you. If you know Him and He knows you, then you are safe in His arms. You have been around, spiritually speaking, longer. You have a, you have a wealth of wisdom just in your perspective that you can, you can say to the, to the church of Jesus Christ, young and old, listen, He's faithful. I don't care what else comes. I don't care what you lose. Things come and things go. And, and at, at a ripe old age that John preaches to this body, he's saying, I, I got nothing left. Everybody's gone. And I've seen some horrible things. And life doesn't pan out the way I thought it was going to pan out. And when I've got nothing else, I know this. I know this. He's still the one who is from the beginning.
And I don't have any answers. And I don't have any explanations. And even, dare I say, when the promises that He's given us don't seem like enough, He's still the one from the very beginning. And so, to you who are still young enough to have zeal and passion and a little fight in you, be reminded you have overcome. And there is a strength in you. It's not your own strength. It's a strength that comes from from past events, namely the cross of Jesus Christ who has already won the battle. Listen, you can overcome. You can be strong. Letting the truth abide in you. Letting His Word take up residence in you. Don't believe the lies. Don't believe the accusations. Don't fall prey to the evil one's temptations. You have, by God's work, overcome. And you can overcome. Old ball players love to tell stories of uh, great coaches' game speeches, whether pre-game, halftime, post-game. Uh, I could tell you a dozen or so. I could tell you about some in high school. Coach McCall telling us about a great dream he had where he saw the scoreboard and he saw that the, the Gatorade jug was down to the last drop. We still, we still tell that story. We still laugh about uh, our college coach. I, I don't get it. I still don't understand it, but it, it did it, whatever whatever it meant. You're like a rose in a corn patch. There was another one where he told us we're like a 747 coming in for a crash landing. I, I still don't know what he's talking about. It worked. Old ball players have those, have those stories to tell. And some of them were, were ridiculous, frankly. Some of them were stupid. Some of them were stolen from other coaches and some of them made no sense at all. And we, when we talk, old warriors, when they talk about old days, they, they still tell those old stories. Now John isn't playing a game, is he? And his readers need a real word. And he stands up not as just a, an old ball coach, but as a great general of the faith. And he speaks some words that um, his hearers need. Maybe you need. Can I be honest with you? Um, I needed, I need these words this week. Met with the elders this week. We talked business. We did some, did some planning, did some, did some calendar stuff. And uh, at the end of all of our business, at the end of our Mexican, uh, they turned to me and asked me, well, how, how are you doing? How are you doing? Uh, Bruce, what was my answer? Yeah, I didn't give an answer. I just kind of I just kind of stared back. I didn't have an answer because the truth is I need these words. I, the truth is um, I'm running on empty. And if it's any encouragement to you, um you know, I texted a couple buddies, close friends, long-time um, friends in the faith, and I just said, listen, guys, you need to, you need to pray for me because this week um, I have zero, zero zeal for the Lord. 
I'm not mad at him. I just can't, I can't muster anything in me that cares. That's just where I was. Uh, there was no Gatorade left in, in the jug. I'm running on empty, guys. I know enough know, to know, however, that he's still the same God from the very beginning, and he's always been. And I want him to bring back the joy of my salvation of old. This week it's not there. So pray for me. That's, that's where I was. I, I don't know about you, I, need, I needed John to just stop for a second, get up on the stool and say, all right, listen guys, let me just remind you of some simple truths. When everything else seems to just not be working and flying out the window and when there's, when there's nothing left, And when you're out of juice, what are you going to do? At rock bottom, what does this pastor do? Very honestly, I just go to the basics. I go to the essentials. I'm forgiven. I know I am. I know I know him. He may seem a million miles away, but I know I know him. I know I've been nearer to him and I want that back. I know he's been around for a long time and no matter what questions I have, no matter what gripes or complaints or explanations I think I might need, I just, if I got nothing else, I just know he's bigger than I can ever even imagine. I know I, I don't feel like it. I don't feel like it. But I have overcome by the blood of His Son. And so I'm just going to remind myself of those things. Maybe that's, maybe that's what you need today. Only by faith in those bedrock truths am I finding strength for each day. Maybe that's what our prayer should be for you. So let's pray. Lord, I thank you for John. I thank you that he was faithful to the end. I thank you that we have a gray-haired apostle to stand up and grant some perspective to to the the younger men and women of the faith when, when trials come and life just seems to be um, empty and we seem to be out of out of all strength. Lord, I thank you that, that there's someone who's walked walked this road, a road that, uh, that included pain and rejection and loss. And then he can still say, with great simplicity, little children, don't forget these things. So Lord, we remind ourselves by your word of the truth. And whether it feels like it or not, we're going to stand upon these truths. Thank you for being trustworthy, Father. Thank you for being a sacrifice, Jesus. And thank you for interceding, Holy Spirit, when we don't even know what to pray. 
Lord, thank you that you've given us your word, that it could be that it could be coach sometimes. When we're in a pit, when we're in a dark place. Thank you that your word can at just the right time at just the right time have just the right words. And they're not just empty words, Lord. They're not it's not just some some trivial halftime speech that uh that's just meant to get us through and, and win one for the Gipper and rally us like Rudy. Lord, this is this is the real deal. And we're not talking about a game. We're talking about the spiritual the spiritual battle that is waging in the heavenlies above our head and in our very hearts. And like John's hearers, Lord, sometimes we're just in a fog and sometimes we, we're shell-shocked and sometimes we don't know who, who's the enemy and who's the friendly and sometimes, Lord, we, we don't know which way to run. So, Lord, thank you sometimes that, uh, that your word just stops us in our tracks and says, hold on. Hold on. I can be trusted. You know me. Silence the voice of the one who would speak lies to us. The evil one. The one who accuses and the one who tempts. Lord, silence his schemes against us. Lord, where there, where there seems to be no strength left, would you grant us strength? When there seems to be no zeal, no passion, no heart for purpose any longer, Lord, would you grant it? Fill our cup. Fill our hearts. For those who are the children of God, Lord, we, we beg you. Give us the encouragement that John intends for us to have right here, right now. We pray in Jesus' name, who is our cornerstone. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.